Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It is Sunday, February 5th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I am talking to you right now from beautiful Kiowa Island and without my normal microphone. So if I sound different than I usually sound, that is why uh, I forgot to pack my microphone when I left early Friday morning, probably because I left very early Friday morning and on very little sleep. Matt Norlander, you forgive me. Please forgive me. I forgive you, man. And listen, this is why people love the podcast, because we're unpredictable like that. And we (laughs) do it for the fans. We do it for the passion. And we knew we had to get this done. I mean, we are recording this Sunday afternoon. You go to this wedding. Are you going to miss most of the Super Bowl, man? you got to fly back, which, one, you're probably going to have a a luxurious flight that's not going to be filled because so so few people would fly during the Super Bowl, but it's also going to be bizarre. Like the biggest television event in America is going to be happening and you're not going to be in a place where you can watch it. No. Are you going to be on Delta? Are you going to be able to watch on the plane? It's a Delta flight, but they don't usually have uh, televisions on my Delta flight. So it would be up to me streaming, but you can't. Anybody that deals with GoGo Wi-Fi, shout out to GoGo Wi-Fi. Shout out to Devin Downey. No, shout no, out to Terry no shout out to GoGo Wi-Fi, <laughs> which is brutal. I'm sorry. It is it's brutal. Not a podcast sponsor. GoGo Wi-Fi <laughs> fails me regularly. It fails me regularly, too. Like every Because I fly Delta every Monday morning and every Thursday morning. Like literally every Monday morning and every Thursday morning. So I get GoGo Wi-Fi every Monday and Thursday. And I would say at least half the time I have to email them when I land and say, hey, it's it's GP again. I I hate to be this guy, but like I I purchased your Wi-Fi, but it didn't work like the whole time. And then they refund to their credit. They refund it every single time. But like I don't need their money back. I need the actual Wi-Fi to work like there's nothing like I need. You know, I need every hour of the day that I can get to actually work. And so when I'm stuck on a plane for two and a half hours and I really can't get anything done. Uh, that's not a, a good deal. So my point is, theoretically, you could stream it on GoGo Wi-Fi, but like, good luck with that. You're not going to be able to stream a football game on GoGo Wi-Fi. So I will, honestly. So one of my wife's uh, friends got married here last night in Charleston. So we stayed in Kiowa um, at the Sanctuary Hotel, which is beautiful, by the way. If you ever want to just waste a lot of money but stay in a beautiful place, this is the place to do it. And shout out to them because they. Uh, have helped. So I booked this like, I I think I might've been drinking when I booked this entire trip because I didn't think it through at all. Uh, First and foremost, um, I said, yeah, let's, let's, Hey, if we're going to be at Kiowa, like let's get the most out of it. So let's like, let's fly home as late as we can on Sunday night. So we've got like a 6:40 PM flight tonight. That's problematic for two reasons. One, it's Super Bowl Sunday. So to answer your question, I'm going to be on a flight the entire Super Bowl. Like I'm not. I think the Super Bowl kicks off 20 minutes before we get on a plane. I, you know, we're basically going to miss the whole thing. Um, so it didn't even occur to me that it was Super Bowl Sunday when I booked the trip. Otherwise, I'd have got, we'd have got up early this morning, flew home, and like hosted a Super Bowl party or went to a Super Bowl party or whatever. Second thing I didn't realize is that I usually stay in Starwood properties. And I have such a, I have so many points and status, whatever, built up with Starwood that I have late checkouts, whatever I want. I could tell Starwood, hey, I want to check out at 8 p.m. tonight. And they're like, of course, Mr. Parrish, no problem. So it never occurred. Okay. So it never occurred to me that I would have to have a normal checkout, like a normal person. So like at noon today, they start knocking on the door. And I like open the door. I'm like, yo, what's up with oh, it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, who, who dare go there? <laughs> I said, I said, so what's what's up? They said, uh, we we're just so curious. So, um, you know, what, what time you were going to check out? I was like, I don't know, like probably, I don't know, three o'clock, four o'clock, something like that. And they were like, well, we have like checkouts at 1030, like 1030 when they're like 1030 this morning. 
I said, oh, I said, does that apply to me? <laughs> they said, yeah. they said yes. I, I said, well, can you give me 30 minutes? We'll get out of the room. Let me take a shower. We'll get out of the room. So oh I have to. Gosh. So I had. Steering yourself to the commandant. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even saying that. And, and they kept apologizing and apologizing. I said, listen, this is not your fault. Like, I, it's just I am not. I, I, I get I never stay outside of a Starwood property. So I never worry about checking out like a like a, uh, uh, a peasant. And so. <laughs> and so I said, it's not your fault. I said, but here's the problem. I have to record. You might not have recognized me, but I am the host of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And I have to record a podcast this afternoon before I get on a flight. I was planning on just doing it from my room. Now I know I'm not going to be in my room. Is there anything you can do to help me with that? And they said, um, sure. So they talked to all the people and they put me in the Calhoun room. So I'm basically in my own little conference room here at the Sanctuary Resort. Um, and it is nice. I feel lonely in here. It's a big room. You can probably tell that from the way the microphone sounds. Um, but this would be a hell of a place to hold a meeting. It's just that I don't have anybody to meet with. Well, I'm wondering why they didn't put you in the downy room because I figure every hotel in South Carolina <laughs> these days must have a downy room, right? Why don't they have a downy da- Okay. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do. When I, have to, when I wrap this up and go back and, and tell them thank you for allowing me to use your conference room, the Calhoun room, I'm going to ask them if they have a downy room and if not, if they've considered having a downy room because I am right now. I've spent the weekend in the home state, uh, not necessarily the home state, but in the state where Devin Downey did his best work. Uh, from the ages of, say, 19 to 23. Shouts again to Devin Downey, the Sanctuary Hotel. This is a beautiful place. Matt Norlander, I'm going to miss the whole Super Bowl. But, like, text me if anything neat happens. This is actually, I, the, like, the I've, I've flown through Super, in, uh, you know, while Super Bowls were happening before. There was one few years ago. I feel like it might have been one of the ones Eli won. But it was before Wi-Fi was even on a plane. So, like, tonight, I'll at least be able to, like, I think listen to it on radio if I want to. I'll have Twitter up. I'll get like second yeah, by second update. That'll be update. kind of an interesting experience to like without watching it. If you purely like if the Wi-Fi is solid and you have Twitter up, anything that's worth truly seeing that's urgent, you'll have pop up in your stream and hopefully the video will load. But you'll basically experience it while, you know, your wife is sleeping or whatever <laughs> next to you or reading a book or whatever. You'll just be, you know, zoned in on Twitter there. Uh, it'll be a little bizarre, but uh, but yeah, there there you it'll, go. It'll be fine. So I did one one time. I was flying where it was. I think this is maybe the third time I will have flown in the middle of the Super Bowl. The first time I did it was like pre Wi-Fi, and that was a weird experience. I feel like it was a cross country flight too. Like maybe I was coming back from L.A. because you're thirty thousand feet in the in the air, and you just have this moment. It's not that big of a deal, but you have this moment where in the United States of America. The biggest sporting event that we have is happening. Like 100 million people are watching it, and I have no idea what's happening. There's no way to know. You know, it's not like you right. can follow it on your phone or follow it on Wi. There's no Wi-Fi. Every once in a while, the pilot would come on and say, "Just an update from the Super Bowl. The Giants have just scored. It's now 14 to 10." But like, whatever. Like, you have no idea what's happening. That's sort of a weird deal. But um, I'll get through it. My Super Bowl pick, by the way, the Atlanta Falcons. So if that sounds stupid. Uh, what's, in, your score, what's your score? What's your score prediction? I'm going Patriots. I'm going Patriots 31-27. But I would like to see the Falcons win. But I'm I'm taking New England. What's your prediction on score? Okay, let me think. Score, score. Because I haven't thought about that at all, and I probably should if I need to make a an over under bet. Exactly. Uh, let's go. I'm trying to see what Sportsline has. What does Sportsline have? Have you looked? I haven't. If I had to guess, I mean, it's the highest over/under in Super Bowl history. Atlanta's 
Atlantis like had more than 340 yards of offense in all but two games this season or something. Well, well that's the reason. Like I was texting with somebody earlier. I was like, listen, I'm not an NFL expert, but like Atlanta scores every time they get the ball. It feels like so. I like teams that score every time they get the ball. They tend to win. So give me the the Atlanta Falcons. I took the Atlanta Falcons. You know the crazy stat, and we get into hoops here, but the, the craziest stat I heard is that in every uh, New England Super Bowl with Belichick and Brady, they have not scored a point in the first quarter. Is kinda that wild, true? Right? Yeah, kind of wild. So we'll see if they uh, if they are able to snap. All right, let me get. I want to get. I want my official score on record. So let me figure this okay. out. Just hang with me for a second. <laughs> okay. If you want to talk about SeatGeek, now would be a good time to do it. <laughs> Uh, hey, listen, I, I am a fan of SeatGeek, but you are the SeatGeek read master, so I will leave that to you eventually. Okay, let's see. I'm pulling it up now. I am going to take as a final score. Jesus, I can't find it. Why can I not find it? Just pick two two numbers. Okay, I'm taking as a final score Atlanta 34, New England 31. You got the Falcons winning. I got the Patriots winning. I have Brady as MVP of almost by weird default. But if you've got Atlanta winning, then are you saying Julio? Matt, are you saying Matt Ryan? Are you saying maybe Devontae Freeman busts out three touchdowns? No, I don't know the official the official pick from Gary Parish on the Ion College Basketball Podcast will be uh, Atlanta thirty four, New England thirty one. Matt Ryan wins Super Bowl MVP. Good deal. All right. Well, listen, we've got a lot to get to. It was an insane weekend of college basketball. The teams that were ranked second, third, fifth, seventh, eighth, and ninth in the AP poll all lost. Plus, Maryland squandered a big opportunity at home against Purdue. Plus, Creighton lost at home to Xavier. So the floor is open, Matt Norlander. The biggest surprise from this weekend was Oregon destroying Arizona or Florida destroying Kentucky or Iowa State winning at Kansas or Kansas State winning at Baylor or Oklahoma State winning at West Virginia or Syracuse rallying once again to beat Virginia, or something else entirely? The biggest surprise is the way Oregon killed Arizona. I think so, too. Now, some and I, and I, I wrote about Oregon on the site, and it was mostly about Oregon. And with Arizona, I don't think any less of the Wildcats with this loss, because the fact of the matter is sometimes you just catch the team on the wrong night for you. They go just ballistic from three. That's what Oregon did. And to me, it more validated the Ducks. Obviously, within the Pac-12, they got to, by the way, Oregon's got to turn around and try and defeat Arizona and UCLA in back-to-back games. And, by the way, beating UCLA would mean sweeping the Bruins. So, right now, the Pac-12 is, is tied between the Wildcats and Ducks. But Arizona could actually take the lead right back later this week because it's going to be a tough task for Oregon to do that. Not that they can't do it, because they definitely can, but um, they got to go on the road and do that. With Arizona, still have plenty of... I'd still list them in my top five. Like, if we started a tournament right now, they would be on my shortlist top five teams I would consider uh, to win the title and go through a bracket. But the way that Oregon won that game was really particularly just, just jarring. I mean, this was an Arizona team that had played well. Oregon had taken a loss against Colorado, had barely defeated Arizona State a couple of days before. And so to get that kind of play, and on both ends, they have really been fairly reliable defensively, better than I expected them to be. That was the biggest surprise for me. You agree? Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, I'm the guy who had Arizona str- yeah, I know. I- 
that was a mess. What happened? Yeah. How do you take that? How do you take a team that ends up getting beat by a bazillion up, points? I think your straight up privilege have been revoked for at least a week. <laughs> we was, that. It got off, got off to such a great start. What was the one I got right? Oh, yeah, Marquette over uh, Villanova. Yes. And then and then I almost had Virginia over Villanova last weekend. I thought that was going to work, and that didn't happen. And then since then, it's just been a, 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 a disaster. And not, no bigger disaster than that one. Like, I had people tweeting me, like, gee, gee perish. <laughs> like, do not, do not ever attach straight up to Arizona again. Like, it was like the worst loss in Arizona history, or at least it, it felt like it. Yeah, it was bad. And... Uh... You know, we'll we'll see what kind of goes from there. Kind of let me bounce around the weekend just a little bit here, GP. Um, according to Mike Waters, uh, who does a great job covering Syracuse, listen, I wrote a column. Beheim won his 1,000th game. The NCAA can say it wasn't there, but he is he has experienced a thousand victories. Here's the crazy thing: Virginia under Tony Bennett, when it has at least a 12 point lead at halftime, is 76 and two, and the two losses have been to Syracuse <laughs> in less than a calendar year's time kind of wild in Syracuse getting this win by the way it validates the orange who I left for dead about two and a half weeks ago the the Syracuse is definitely in the mix now for an NCAA tournament bid they still need to prove more but getting that win over Virginia was vital to their chances that was huge Virginia because Carolina was able to beat Notre Dame on Sunday and that was an important win for UNC because I think that UNC is now unless Virginia can practically run the table which isn't out of the I'd listen Virginia, I, I wouldn't push that past them. But to me, Carolina is the only logical team that is setting up, I think, as the team that would get a one seed. Virginia, Louisville, still there. But Carolina beating Notre Dame was uh, important to that team's chances. Virginia overall, listen, man, it, it wasn't – the game didn't uh, unfold the way that it did in the Elite Eight, and it wasn't as big of a comeback, and the game didn't have as much meaning. But for Syracuse to have gotten this kind of win – was huge, and I did enjoy the fact that Jim Beheim simply could not help himself. While he can't, I mean he can, but he doesn't and isn't you know, advised to acknowledge on the record that he has 1,000 victories officially, he couldn't help himself because he's a fiercely competitive dude and say, you know, there's been a 1,000 wins, I've been here for him and all that stuff. And you know what? It is a 1,000 wins because I will never, ever lay off the fact that you can punish coaches and teams in so many ways but nothing is more stupid, vapid, meaningless than taking away victories that everyone knows actually happened. Jim Beheim, congratulations on a thousand wins. Yeah, it, it's always. Yeah, I'm I'm anti um, uh, vacate wins as well and vacate Final Fours. Like if you go into FedEx Forum for a University of Memphis game, they don't have anything for the 2008 or the 1985 Final Four. Like it's just not there, which is just silly. Like those things happened. Like you know, and and if they happened under circumstances that fall outside of NCAA guidelines like I got it you know punish the program whatever but the idea that the NCAA creates a system where it tries to you know wipe memories from from brains is a little silly to me and so congrats to Jim Beheim on on 1000 wins I will say uh just to wrap back around you I think Louisville can still get a one seed I don't know that they will but I think they could I mean you look at the resume right now out of the ACC um in terms of Ken Palm wins and losses, they have no losses outside of the top thirty. The losses I are agree. They just the, the schedule is ridiculous. So I, I just oh I'm like not yeah logical. yeah I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying if they were to you know win the ACC going forward, they would they would yes. definitely be in a position to get a one seed. I absolutely agree. They have to. 
play Virginia that's on Monday night, and Patino has openly said this is the one team we can't solve. They still got to go to Syracuse, go to North Carolina, play Notre Dame. They've got a road game against a Wake team. That might be difficult. So they can get it, but I just think it's it's a tall task. I think it's much easier for Carolina to get there. Uh, even though Carolina's schedule is not easy either, it's you know those go, those three teams are going to kind of ram up against each other overall. Um, Virginia still got plenty of, of tough road games as well, so we'll we'll see about the ACC in a one seed. There's a lot still to shake out there. We got you know eight league games left. Will you give me my privileges back just for one minute? I don't know if you deserve them, man, and I don't know if the audience would appreciate as as entertaining as it is. You and no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to take. Louisville straight up on Monday, are you? The pick is this, Louisville. Straight up. I take Louisville I straight up. Hotel employee that was walking. Dude, I'm so secluded. I'm so secluded in the Calhoun room right now. Like you, like I, I could murder somebody in here. I don't think they'd find me for three days. Like I, I'm so, I'm so off in the, in the. I don't even think normal people get to come to this part of the sanctuary. I'm just chill. I'm just hanging out in the Calhoun room by myself. Record shows GP's taking Louisville straight up. <laughs> you know why? Here's why. Because it seems like Patino has been talking about this for a week. Like he's been obsessing over this. And I just think when you take one of the great coaches of all time, and I recognize Tony Bennett is a great coach as well. I, I also think one of the great coaches of all time, even if he doesn't have the Final Fours and championships to show that yet, I think Tony Bennett is tremendous. Uh, I just think, like, Rick seems to have been obsessing over this game, talking about it constantly. Um, there's reports that he's, like, gone and watched film of, like, every team that's ever beaten Virginia <laughs> to try to figure out, okay, what are they doing? What are these teams doing to beat Virginia that we haven't been able to, beat, uh, to do to beat Virginia? And I just think when he, he obsesses with it that much, that perhaps it could lead to a victory. And so give me the card. Oh. First of all, it's smart Patino to do that, but maybe it's bordering bordering on like a little bit of creepy. Like, does he have just photos of Tony in every room of his house? That so like everywhere he goes, he doesn't want to forget about what Tony's done done to his team in years past. I don't know. We'll see. Should be an interesting Monday game. GP. Another thing that I tweeted about on Saturday. At this point, because we had six top team top ten teams lose, okay, and that tied the record for most top ten teams losing in one day in the history of the AP poll, Gonzaga is still 24-0. They didn't have any issues on the road Thursday night against BYU. It's now reached a point where Gonzaga, in my opinion, will easily still be a one seed even with one loss. So even if you want to say that and they play you know, tremendous game to look forward to on Saturday night when they go to St. Mary's, that's going to be an 8-15 tip and kind of the centerpiece of that evening. Even if they lose that game, I still think that they should be a one seed in bracketology with a loss there and still probably will be a one seed uh, if they finish the season with one loss and win the WCC tournament because there are just too many teams that are rotating on that one line and that two line right now that have taken a lot of losses. And you'll have Louisville or Virginia take another one on Monday night as well. Kentucky's out of the conversation altogether, and we're going to get to them, but they lost against Florida. Um, you know, Baylor taking a loss, Kansas losing. At this point, I just, if you're a Gonzaga fan or you're trying to keep track of how the bracket is slowly but surely forming, I think it's just, it's inevitable because I don't, the only way I could see Gonzaga losing two games is if they fall to St. Mary's on the road and then they fall to St. Mary's in the tournament. If those happened, you could have a situation where they're on the two line. I just don't think that's likely. 
So to me, the the percentage is very, very, very high right now that Gonzaga will get a one seed. I agree, and I think Saturday was a good day for them, not only because they won, but also because they, um, you know, they watched Iowa State go win at Kansas. So now they can say, hey, you know that team that won at Allen Fieldhouse? We beat that team. And you know the Colorado, uh, I mean, what was the other? I wrote it all earlier today. They, wrote, they beat Florida. Okay, they beat right. Florida got the win over Kentucky, so that win looks even better. Florida's a top 10 team now. And even though they've defeated Arizona, and that's yeah. still going to remain a really good win. Yeah, so I, got, I got it right here. So they've got, they've got wins over, um, they've got wins over Arizona. They've got win. Uh, they've got a win over Arizona. Got a win over St. Mary's. Got a win over Florida. Got a win over the Iowa State uh, team. That where is this? Got a win. Okay, here it is. I'm just going to read you straight from the top 25 and one. The Zags are now 24-0 with a 90-55 victory over Santa Clara. And you could argue that the resume also got a boost thanks to Iowa State surprising win at Kansas because it means Gonzaga now has a victory over the team that snapped KU's 54-game home winning streak, which means Gonzaga now has wins over, follow me here, Arizona, Florida, and St. Mary's, plus a win over the Iowa State team that won at Kansas, the Tennessee team that beat Kentucky, and the BYU team that beat the Colorado team that has beaten Oregon and Xavier. There's some substance to the resume, and nobody is ever pretending that they would have this record if they played in the Big 12 or the ACC or the Pac-12 or even the SEC, frankly. I, I don't think – they could be in any Power 5 league in America and plus the Big East, and they would not have the record that they have. But, but they play in the West Coast Conference. There's nothing they can do about that. And all they can do is schedule aggressively and then go out and, and, and kill it against that schedule. And they did that. They, they killed it in the non-league. And they uh, are killing it in the West Coast Conference. You know, their 24 wins, 21 of them are by double digits. Yes, they're killing. Yes, they're definitely. blowing out. They're, ki- they're killing everybody. Without a doubt. Yeah. And so, like, like I, not only do I think they're going to be a one seed, I, I think they're going to end up being the number one overall seed. And then, of course, the pressure will be on them to, to finally make it to a final four. And I'm not even going to say it's unfair because, like, whatever. It is true that they've never done it, even when they've been a one seed, even when they've been, you know, ranked this highly. Um, and and if you want to be skeptical of them, you can be. Um, but it is true that that single elimination tournament is just it's tough, and it doesn't guarantee that the best teams always get to the final four. We don't always get the four best teams there. In fact, we almost never do. Um, and and beyond that, um, what happens in the NCAA tournament? literally has nothing to do with where you should have been seated in the NCAA tournament. I hate it when people try to use right. the results from a single elimination tournament to, to, to suggest somebody was either overseated or underseated. The truth is um, the, the committee does not a perfect job, but a pretty good job of, of putting the right teams in that bracket and then seating them pretty close to where they ought to be seated. And so no matter what happens in the NCAA tournament, if Gonzaga's sitting there with zero losses or one loss on Selection Sunday, they're going to be a one seed and then they deserve it. And, and if they don't then go to a Final Four, it doesn't mean that they didn't deserve it. It'll just mean that sometimes one seeds don't go to the Final Four. And yes, even one seeds from Power Power 5 schools. Yeah, and, and listen, Wichita State is an easy comparison, and, and it's a fair one because they had an undefeated run. They got matched up with the Kentucky team in the second round, which, by the way, although that wasn't fair to a lot of people, uh, that's still one of the five best games the NCAA tournament's seen over the past decade, in my opinion. And so... We got an amazing game out of it, and we still remember. We don't. I said that we talked about this in the moment when that was happening, and it's remained true. That team is not looked at as a disappointment, nor should it be, because they ran the table, went undefeated, got a one seed to be a Wichita State level program, and to do that. And if you're going to fall, you fall to John Calipari in Kentucky in a tremendous, 
all-time classic. No shame in that. If Gonzaga hits a similar wall in the Sweet 16, or you know, and and plays an incredible game, and it's by the way, it's had it's had a, a number of amazing tournament games over there. Remember that Arizona matchup back in like 02, I think it was. An awesome all-time. That was back before Gonzaga had the stigma of the tournament. It was still the total darling that had gone to the Elite Eight a few years before. And, you know, the Morrison team and just the – I'm still frustrated that they lost that game to UCLA. That, to me, is the worst choke I've ever seen uh, by any team ever. So they've had some classics. If they had an instance like that again and they were undefeated going into the tournament, I still think – that it would go down as a great season for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and here's the problem, or at least this is what frustrates me. Kansas last year didn't make the Final Four, was a one seed. Did anybody use that to try to insist that Kansas shouldn't have been a one seed? No. No. Oregon was a one seed last year. Does anybody look at Oregon and go, you know what, see, didn't make it to the Final Four, shouldn't have been a one seed? No. I mean, did you hear that? I didn't hear that. Right, and what's what's interesting about what you're going with this GP is that not with Kansas, but with Oregon, which is not a team that traditionally is playing for the one or the two line, just like Gonzaga, which has been a one before. You know, if you were going to make that kind of argument, then you would need to be consistent and kind of throw it against the Ducks, and that right. Hasn't That's my so point. It should not happen. The only Gonzaga. time, the only time people ever look at a one seed and say, "See, didn't make the Final Four, shouldn't have been a one seed," it's when it's Gonzaga, Wichita State. Or a school like that is if it's if it's a school from a power five league people just do like it's just like whatever you know sometimes crazy things happen single elimination tournament of 40 minute games but for whatever reason gonzaga has to not only earn their one seed throughout the regular season and the league tournament before selection sunday they have to then prove that they deserved it in the in the ncaa tournament and it's not a standard we hold uh, power conference schools to um, it doesn't mean that me saying this is going to change anything, because trust me, Gonzaga loses in the Sweet 16. We're going to ha- people are going to be screaming. See, there they go again, just like always. But it's just it's an unfair standard to hold them to, and it is why. And I've said this before. Um, I would love to see Gonzaga get to a Final Four, not because I like Mark Few, although I do like Mark Few, but because um, I, I would just like for them to uh, to take that off the table. So that nobody can ever say that again when they're having another re- remarkable regular season and winning game after game after game. So that people can stop. Because like, I get it every day. I update the top 25 and one every day. And somebody tweets every day and says, oh, yeah, well, guess what? You, you've overrated them before. You know, wake me up when they get to a Final Four. You know, you can rank them in the top four all you want to, but they actually never get to a Final Four, so you never end up getting it right. And I would just like for them to remove that from the table. And if and the only way to do it is to actually get to a Final Four. So um, it'd be nice to see them do it uh, in this season because I do think they've got a team absolutely built and good enough to do it. Let me tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or show you want to attend, and none of the older ticket sites want to change that. SeatGeek's different, though, so make sure, listen to me, make sure next time you're going to a basketball game, football game, baseball game, anything, any kind of concert, just go to SeatGeek first. And here's why. You're going to end up saving money and time. Here's why. Because if you go to this place or that place or that place, and you know which ones I'm talking about, um, you're never going to know if you're actually getting the best deal. You're going to say, well, could I get a better price over here? Am I, am I getting a better price over here? You're never going to know without checking them all, like over and over again. Who's got the time for that? 
at SeatGeek, you don't have to do that. They're going to handle the price comparison for you. They're going to search multiple ticket sites for you, and they're going to ensure that you get the best possible deal. They're going to do all the work. You're going to save time and money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on it. Go download the SeatGeek app. You download it, then you purchase tickets to whatever it is you're going to. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. You mentioned Kentucky earlier. You said we were going to get to them later. Let's get to them now. Uh, they lost again Saturday night at Florida. They got destroyed at, uh, at, at, at Florida. And they're yeah. not even in first place in the SEC anymore. Like, we had spent time on this podcast, not because we were dumb, but because it looked that way, talking about Kentucky's going to win the SEC by multiple games. Kentucky is turning the SEC. You know, John Calipari is turning the SEC into what he used to turn CUSA into. And now you look at the standings right now, and South Carolina's in first. Florida and Kentucky are tied for second. Now, some of that has to do with the way the schedule unfolds, and Kentucky is still, at least according to Ken Palm, projected to win the SEC outright. I think they will win the SEC. But there is no denying for a team that was preseason, I believe, number two, uh, things aren't going well, um, or, or at least they're not going smoothly. They are, um, I think, right now in a situation where they have lost three of four games, and the lone win yeah. in that stretch is a overtime win at home over Georgia. Now, De'Aaron Fox didn't play in that game, and that is worth noting. But either way, uh, the idea that we'd be talking about a Kentucky team that had lost three of four in the SEC is not something we anticipated. Are you worried about the Wildcats or long season? They'll figure it out. All right, let's let's get into this here. Uh, one, this could be a four-game losing streak because had Malik Monk not hit a shot late, Georgia wins that game in regulation. And if that happens, you know, it, it's it's clearly – uh, at DEFCON one for for the for the Wildcats right now without it without a doubt, Malik Monk had the worst game of his short career at Kentucky in the loss at Florida had just 11 points, was 414 from the field. Here's what Monk has Monk is he is such a fun player but he is undeniably inconsistent. He was 29% from the field against Florida, he was 47 from the field against Georgia. 46 uh, against Kansas, 37 against Tennessee. He was amazing, obviously, against UNC. But against Louisville, another game that Kentucky lost, he shot 35% from the field. So it's not total causation to correlation here. But the fact is, in Kentucky's losses and against a lot of really good teams that the Wildcats are playing, Monk is not playing A-level basketball. And when that's not happening... And when you don't have a, a point guard that's fully healthy, and I love De'Aaron Fox's game, these are clearly reasons why Kentucky is stumbling a bit here. Briscoe has been nice this season. Has he been as completely good as I expected him to be? No, but I still think he's been pretty good. Bam Adebayo has been a B-plus level freshman, which is acceptable, but I still, I'm, I'm kind of still waiting for Bam to have just like this outrageously tremendous game or or have a half where they really need him to just sort of totally dominate hasn't quite happened. So Kentucky has no chance at a one seed. It's going to have to borderline win out to get a two seed at this point. Yes, they can still put it together. We have seen Kentucky teams with comparable talent and potential stumble in the regular season, catch fire in the tournament. 
make Final Four after Final Four. I don't eliminate the possibility of that happening, but the fact of the matter is right now, I wonder if maybe a little bit of the book on Monk is out. He doesn't still he still does not drive as much to the hole as I would like him to. I see Me him neither. settling for 17-foot jumpers a little too much. He falls in love with his jump shot a little too much, and there are a lot of Kentucky fans that are just so devoted to this guy. And don't get me wrong, when he's going, he's amazing. It would be awesome for the sport if Kentucky made a Sweet 16 run and the first two games, Monk averaged 33 points and was balling out against just afterthoughts, uh, you know, a, a 15 seed and a 7 seed or whatever, right? But it's just not completely there. And when he doesn't have Fox at 100% to compliment him, I think that's why they've had some issues. So I think that they can still regroup be a top five level team they're just undeniably not there and last thing i'll throw it back to you gp john calipari was vocal in october saying if this isn't the best defensive team in the country by february i've done something wrong well then he's done something wrong because they're not even top 10 they can be great they have not remotely even closely look like an elite level defensive team against the best teams they play this season uh with kentucky um like again, clearly, this is not the way it was supposed to go. But Calipari's had teams do this before. You know, in 2011, 13, and 14, those three teams all lost six SEC games. And we were having these types of conversations about every one of them. And the common denominator between uh, this team and those teams is this um, relying more heavily than normal on freshmen. The freshmen are awesome, but. History shows when he has relied this heavily on freshmen, um, it is it is usually a tough go in the regular season. There have been, I believe, four times now since John has been at Kentucky. And for any writers out there, do not steal this because I'm going to write about this for Tuesday morning. And if you steal it, I'll, I'll know and I'll tweet about it. Um, but there's been four times where John has had a team that had at least three freshman in his top four scores at Kentucky. And those times are 2010, 2011, 2013, and 2014. Now, the 2010 team was awesome. You know, it had, it had maybe the two best players in the country in that, in that season, two guys who were all-stars, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. And, and the third freshman, of course, was Eric Bledsoe. So, like, that team was great from start to finish. But perhaps it was great because it had, like, the two best players in the draft. Um, the other three teams – 2011, 2013, and 2014. They had at least three freshmen in their top four scores, and they all lost six games in the SEC, in the SEC regular season. Like, every other team he's had has had a little bit better balance between freshmen and upperclassmen. The 2012 team, two of the top four scores were freshmen. The other two were, upper, were, were not freshmen. I'll just put it that way. Uh, the 2015 team, that was awesome. Uh, two of the top four were freshmen, but the other two were not. And so the common denominator between this team, because right now three of the top four scores at Kentucky are freshmen, between this team and you look and, and the other teams um, that have struggled in the SEC is that they're relying a little too much on, on freshmen. Now, there's no way around it. That's, that, that's the way the roster is. That's what they got. But here's the good news. If we're talking about 2011, 13, and 14, Though those teams all struggled in the regular season relative to preseason expectations, uh, they all took six losses in the SEC. Two of them ended up going uh, to the Final Four. The only one that didn't happen to lose its best player to a torn ACL in the season. That was the Nerlens Noel team that ended up in the NIT. 
Um, so if you're a Kentucky fan and you're trying to figure out why this team is struggling, it is struggling for the exact same reason the 2011 team did, 2013 team did, and the 2014 team did. But the good news is that two of those three teams ended up getting it right eventually and going to the Final Four. Which way would you bet right now? Would you bet this team gets it right and ends up in the Final Four, or it struggles from start to finish? Oh, uh, boy. If you if it's just between those two, then I would say Final Four, but I think the most likely outcome is that they get better. And if you had me bet either Final Four or no Final Four, I would I would go no Final Four. And I say that, and yet, man, like Fox and Monk at their best – is the best backcourt Calipari's had ever, ever, of any team he's ever coached. When they are playing at their best, he's never had two that have been better. And so when you would have that in March when guard play, that's a cliche that I actually think very often rings very true. If you can have reliable guard play, not just point guard, but your backcourt, it really boosts your chances to play deep into the tournament. Um, So that's, you know, if they're playing that well, then they, in theory, should really have a good shot at making the Final Four. But I've seen enough here where I just have – I have enough I – th- I think my doubt is reasonable because, listen, you know, you could argue that the five best teams they've played, that, you know, they beat Carolina, but they they lost to UCLA, lost to Louisville, couldn't could not defeat Florida. And I want to give Florida a lot of credit with the way that they were able to play. I think that was – you know, there are two sides to the coin, and what they were able to do was really impressive. And then obviously Kansas uh, going into Rupp last weekend and, and dealing Kentucky its loss. So if you want to say big picture right now, Kentucky's a good team, but it, the five best opponents it's played, it's one in four against those teams, and two of those games have been home losses. Very reasonable to speculate whether or not Kentucky's even a top ten team. I agree with that. And I, I wouldn't have them in the top ten right now. I don't know if I even have them. Let me look. I'm not sure I have them. I think maybe I do have them 15th, but like they're certainly not in the top 10. I have them 15th right now in the top 25 and one. I guess I would say this. I understand all the uh, hesitation about suggesting they're going to be great uh, because, you know, it's February 5th and they're clearly not great. They got pounded last night at Florida. But if you go back and look at some of those other teams that have struggled while relying on freshmen, even at this time in the calendar, like they got it right. It eventually clicked. And then, you know, I, I said this even going into – uh, that NCAA tournament where they were an eight seed and they ended up against Wichita State in the in the round of 32. Like, Greg Marshall had an amazing team that year. I mean, and we now know a, a team with three pros because Clay Anthony Early played in the NBA and, and Fred's yeah. playing now and Ron's playing now. He had three NBA players. Um, you know, what an amazing team. And yet he had an amazing team, amazing season, and he looked up in the round of 32 and he looked across the court and said, we're outmanned. We just are. Uh, and, and they were. They played great, and, and, and they still lost to Kentucky in the round of 32. And once that Kentucky team got going, they had better players than basically everybody else in the country. And I will say the same thing about this team. I don't know if they'll actually get to a Final Four. But if it ever clicks, and when it's clicking, they have better players than most people in the country. And that is always the great thing to have in your back pocket you know, in the, in the sport of men's college basketball. Like, uh, this ain't the Premier League. You know, a whole bunch of damage done early ain't going to cost you. You know, at, at some point, we're going to get to a, 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 a spot in this season where we're going to play a single elimination basketball tournament. And it doesn't matter. Like, at that point, it really doesn't matter what you did in November, December, January, February, or early March. Now it's just time to go. And this team, like, I'll forever believe that they've got the stuff to, to flip a switch and make it go until they just lose. And they might. 
Um, but anybody trying to, to rule that out, like, hasn't been paying attention to, to John Calipari's freshman heavy teams at Kentucky. Because even the ones that have struggled, um, you know, most more often than not, um, it gets right eventually. And when it gets right, uh, they start knocking off teams that have had better seasons and end up, you know, playing in the final weekend of the season. Before we get out of here, um, we mentioned it briefly, but it is worth discussing a little bit. Kansas had a 54 game home winning streak snapped on Saturday by Iowa State. Went to overtime. Uh, you know, Iowa State, I think, made 18 three pointers. So, like, there was a lot of stuff that happened here. It's not like they got ran off their own court, uh, but still they lost, and that's not something they normally do. It is now true that Scott Drew and Bill Self are now tied, once again tied, uh, for losses inside Allen Fieldhouse. So that was a big day Saturday yeah. for, for Scott, even if his team did lose at home to Kansas State. Um, but let me ask you this. Is what happened at Allen Fieldhouse a byproduct of, hey, if an opponent hits 18 three-pointers on you, you're going to lose, or at least you're susceptible to losing, uh, no big deal. Or um, maybe the, the lack of depth in the front court and – uh, the off-the-court stuff, which seems to just come one after another after another, is it catching up with, with Kansas? I can't say off-the-court stuff was a part of this loss because Kansas blew a huge lead. And so if from, you know, from tip to horn, if Kansas looked sloppy, Iowa State was you know pulling away at certain points and Kansas just played badly. I think you can sometimes have an argument there. Depends. Distraction talk can sometimes be legitimate, sometimes can be just way, way too easy and a go-to and automatic for sports writers, and oftentimes that's overblown. So I don't think that's the case here because Kansas didn't look distracted by off-the-court crap when it was looking good early, okay? Iowa State going nuts from three, having the headiest point guard in college basketball, certainly, uh the way Nas, Nas My True Long played was massive and really important. Appreciation for the streak, because it's hard to win, you know, to go that many straight games. As hard as it is to win on the road in college basketball, at home you're just going to get picked off. It's it's inevitable. Now Oregon's got the longest streak in the country at 40. To get to, get to 50 is just insane. Um, so it was inevitable. And, yes, only the 10th loss. Kansas, man they'll still have a chance at a one seed, obviously. Um, but they lose this game and now they got to go play the rival on Monday night, 48 hours, turn around, play Kansas state who beats Baylor. It's just too funny though, man. I mean, Kansas loses the rare home game, right? And on the same damn day, Baylor drops a home game to a K state team that was in need of a win to kind of validate it's at large case. And so it happens. And that's why GP, Saturday was a good day for the Big 12. Now, you could look at it and say, wait, you saw Kansas, you saw Baylor, and you saw West Virginia all lose. All at home, the three best teams in the league, double-digit favorites, they all took losses. And you're telling me it's a good day for the Big 12? Well, absolutely, because in, in broadly speaking, when you get Kansas State to get that victory, when you have Oklahoma State that's fighting to be in the NCAA tournament picture, get a victory, when you get Iowa State off the bubble – with such a definitive win, the Big 12 made big strides to ensuring that it's going to have at least six NCAA tournament bids. I think Saturday was a big-time thing because also it wasn't just that six top 10 teams lost. The Big 12 in particular had its teams lose. And Kansas, West Virginia, and Baylor are still going to be okay. They're still going to be really healthy seeds. They still project right now, the three of them, as 
they, the three of them have unequivocally top 10 resumes. So you could say all are two seeds at worst, okay? So with that, a good day for the Big 12. Weird to see Kansas lose, especially because it went to overtime and you figure, okay, well, they'll have that bonus session. They're going to get out of it. Now, nah, man, didn't happen like that. And, uh, and sure enough, Steve Prohm, credit to you for getting a huge win for your program. And uh, meantime, Brad Underwood, also big uh, win for his program. How about that? He's now sitting here on a one, two, three, four, five game winning streak and has got Oklahoma State in position uh, to make the NCAA tournament. So Brad's got a real chance to, and it didn't look like it was going to go this way, um, you know, go to the NCAA tournament for the fourth time in four years as a head coach. First three, of course, coming at Stephen F. Austin. So that was a, a big win for him. And I agree with you, a good day for the Big 12 because the top teams, they're so out in front of everybody else, you know, in terms of resumes. Like, they're fine. Like, right now, just, you know what, okay, here's the best way to put it. You know what Kansas and Baylor were on Saturday morning? One seeds in the NCAA tournament. You know what they are right now? One seeds in the probably, NCAA tournament. Yeah, they're probably, because so many teams took losses. Yeah, they, they, they still probably rationally, reasonably are one seed. If right you now. put the bracket together right now, and Jerry Palm's got them this way. I actually have them this way in my top 25 and one as well. Right now, the top four, top 25 and one is uh, Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, Baylor. Uh, it was the same four in Saturday mornings, just in a different order. But my point is, those losses, though, uh, losses that you don't want to take, um, you know, and especially I think Baylor, because it was a real opportunity. You could have watched Kansas lose a home game. You knock out Kansas State. Suddenly you're tied in the Big 12 and you've still got them coming to Waco. All right, let's snap this, this string of Big 12 regular season titles for the Jayhawks. Missed opportunity for them. Uh, but in, re- in the big picture, and the big picture is how does it – uh, help or hinder you as it relates to the NCAA tournament didn't really hurt them at all. Like if you had the if you put a bracket together right now, Kansas and Baylor would both be one seeds. West Virginia, I, I'm with you, would still be probably right around a two or three seed. Like it didn't really those losses didn't hurt them, but they were massive wins uh, for Iowa State and for Kansas State and for Oklahoma State. So I agree with you. Uh, yesterday, Saturday was a big big day. Uh, for the Big 12. Remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.